1: is running out. This message is paid for by Lines for Fair and Equitable Policy.
2: The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management.
3: Welcome to the Richard Serrett show on News Talk, Saga 960
4: AM. Hey, good afternoon. To everyone, that is, except the creepy grifters at GoFundMe. I see uh, GoFundMe has canceled Dr. Patrick Phillips' GoFundMe campaign. Dr. uh, Patrick Phillips, of course, a regular on this program, and he's trying to raise money for a lawyer so he can defend himself against another band of creepy grifters. That would be the College of Physicians and Surgeons, who, uh, let's be honest, they don't like doctors who refuse to fall in line. They don't like refusenics. They don't like doctors who provide informed consent to their patients. They don't like doctors who uphold the Hippocratic Oath and the Geneva Code. Uh, Dr. Phillips actually will be on with us uh, tomorrow. He's going to start a new uh, crowdfunding campaign. We'll tell you about that. Hey, I see we're back up and uh, on the live stream again. Terrific. All right. Because, you know, we've got listeners all over the world. Kuala Lumpur. Hello. San Luis Obispo, California. Hello, that's uh, that's my Larry King impression. Jacob, ask your parents. Uh, yesterday morning, um, our prime minister announced he was making good on a, a campaign promise. He promised his intolerant and angry base of Truernon supporters. He promised to punish a, diz- a dirty and disease-carrying minority in this country. Those people, he called them, they're a threat to our children, remember? And his uh, angry, intolerant and the smug base of truanons, they liked it. Yes, punish them. Take away their rights and their jobs, they cheered. Well, that minority will effectively become prisoners in their own country. At the end of November, they'll be barred from boarding a train, a marine vessel, a plane anywhere in the country they'll not be permitted to leave the country. Never mind that the vaccinated can just as easily spread COVID. But you see, the vaccinated are compliant and they obeyed. And to make sure they keep obeying, they need to be rewarded. So these little perks, this is not about science. These are loyalty points. That's what this is about. It's not about science. If it was about controlling the spread You'd make taking a COVID test for both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated alike a condition for travel, a condition for eating in a restaurant or representing your constituents as a duly elected member of parliament. A COVID test, not a vaccine. You'd also make those tests widely available. You might want to make them fairly inexpensive because it's about health, right? If it was about science and keeping people safe and healthy, You wouldn't fire nurses and doctors and paramedics and firefighters and police officers who refuse. You'd provide them with free rapid tests so that they can continue to do their job. You'd also want to keep nurses who've acquired natural immunity from previous infections, since we now know they've got stronger immunity than someone who's been jabbed twice. That's the science. But none of this is about science. It's about control. It's about rewarding the obedient and punishing refuseniks. Welcome to Kanuckistan, comrades. A a U.S. immigration lawyer says the crime minister's travel ban for the unvaxxed in this country, the unvaxxed dissidents, let's call them, should think about applying for refugee status in the U.S. (laughs) Oh, yes. He thinks that they have a good case. They could they could seek asylum in the United States. Uh, I'll speak with this U.S. immigration lawyer this half hour. Meanwhile, federal employees will be required to take the vaccine or face termination. Unless, of course, you're a federal judge or a postal worker or a tax auditor or a House of Commons and Senate staff member. Or a member of the armed forces, or well, the list of those exempt from the mandate is actually longer than those who must comply. Something like two-thirds of all federal employees will be exempt from the mandate. Tom Korsky from Black Locks Reporter will be here this hour with that story. Thursdays, of course, we push back against radical gender ideology, and Linda Blade will be here from Canadian women's sex-based rights. She'll be discussing Abigail Schreier. Abigail Schreier is a journalist and author of Irreversible Damage, the transgender craze seducing our daughters. And Schreier recently interviewed some of the top doctors who actually perform transgender surgery on children. And these doctors made some startling admissions to Abigail Schreier. Linda Blade will be here With that story in hour two, of course, the German idiom of the day, news, not in the news. And Joanna Barron. Will be here. Joanna is the executive director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation and will further discuss the travel ban on the unvaccinated. And uh, finally, to round out what I think is a pretty good program, uh, according to a recently uncovered grant proposal submitted to the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency or DARPA. A scientist funded by Anthony Fauci planned to create a novel coronavirus in 2018. Art Moore from World Net Daily or WND will be here with that story. DARPA, Lou, you were talking about DARPA yesterday, my friend.
5: Well, you know, Richard, if you follow the science, you'll find out, you know, what's going on in the investment of your tax dollars in the case of the US and where it's leading and they want to continue to accelerate their use of uh, novel uh, novel meta, uh, methods of warfare. Um, you know, you've probably been following some of the IT initiatives that uh, are being undertaken on behalf of the U.S. government for military purposes and so on. So, yeah, I know DARPA. I've been following DARPA for a good 25 years.
4: And it, and uh, I mean, it's it's interesting that they would be able to uncover this grant proposal. I mean, if if this was being done sort of under the radar, um, you would think that I don't know, they, they would they would protect. I don't know how this this. Uh, grant proposal was accessed, whether it was through a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act. Uh, we'll find out when Art Moore, Art Moore joins us uh, later this uh, this show. But, um, you know, how did how would they uncover something like that? Is it so- OK?
5: So DARPA is what you see. What you don't see is the black ops that, you know, never going to show up. Do you know what I'm saying? Is like there are projects. You have no idea of what's going on. DARPA is the public face of uh, defense advanced research. That's the public face. There it is. Hey, this is what we're looking at. What do you think? Hey, you got a good idea that would fit this model? Bring it to us. Right. Right. There's other stuff that doesn't see the light of day. Right.
4: No congressional oversight. Uh, What they call there
5: may be, but it would be on the down low, right? Like everybody would have to agree that this is top secret, right?
4: Right, right. Well, it'll be interesting to learn more from Art Moore uh, about um, this grant proposal to create a novel coronavirus. This was back in 2018. So is that what we're looking at now? Is is this, you know, the smoking gun? We'll we'll find out.
5: You know, I, I could only hope that it's enough to stop the madness, but I don't think it is. You know, today I went to the uh, AGO to see their um, Andy Warhol exhibit. Yes. And the thing, you know, that I walked out, you know, because uh, I love going to museums anyway. And the thing I walked out with uh, was this piece of uh, learning. Number one. Uh, You walk through the early part of the exhibit, and I encourage you to go. Um, And what you're seeing is some of the art that Warhol created when he was young. And it was part of the Warhol family collection. Right. It's all that stuff that your kids made on the fridge. Don't throw it out.
4: Macaroni art.
5: Uh, Whatever it is. Listen, I got a room full of this stuff Madeline made. Just in case, you know, there's dad showing up with the early Madeline.
4: You know what I mean? That's right. Before the blue period.
5: That's right. That's right. And you know what? The uh, Picasso exhibit at AGO is about the blue period, Ah. which I attended as well.
4: Well, speaking of Andy Warhol, a couple of years ago, of course, uh, the boys and I are hoping to see a ball game in every major league ballpark. And uh, we went to Pittsburgh a couple of uh, summers ago. We went to the Andy Warhol Museum, which is just steps from, of course, the great uh, Pittsburgh Ball uh, yard there. Yeah, yeah. I can be honest, you know, the boys were not that impressed. Uh, Andy Warhol, not for everybody, but at least they were exposed to him.
5: They didn't get into the room with the inflated yes. uh, silver balloons and enjoyed. kick them around? They enjoyed well, it. You see? You got to take something good out
4: of it. I tried to take video and I was admonished by one of the museum. Uh, How dare you? Exactly. How dare you take video of floating uh, balloons
5: (laughs) Well, they're floating silver pillows. Right.
4: There you go. go. I I wonder what Mike Lindell thinks of that exhibit floating my pillows (laughs) back in an hour, my friend, because we are committed to traffic on the fives
5: like the pig is to bacon back in an hour.
4: All right. A U.S. immigration lawyer says our crime minister's mandatory vaccine requirement that bans nearly all travel for the unvaxxed likely means unvaxxed Canadians could be considered refugees and apply for asylum in the U.S. That story's next. Stay with us.
3: We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM.
4: All right. Matthew Colkin is a trial lawyer with uh, experience in all aspects of the United States immigration law. He's a partner with Colkin and Colkin Law in Buffalo, New York. And he says that our crime minister's vaccine mandate that bans all travel, virtually all travel, except in your car or on your bike, um, could mean that uh, unvaxxed Canadians are eligible for refugee status, they could apply for asylum in the US. Matthew Colkin, how are you? I'm well, thanks for having me. So saw your tweet this morning and I uh, have to say, wow, I was taken aback. So, I mean, you have uh, obviously expertise in US immigration law. Um, explain how we would or the unvaxxed would be would perhaps qualify as refugees.
6: Well, it- Under U.S. immigration law, for an individual to be eligible to apply for asylum in the country, they have to meet the definition of a refugee. And in order to do so, you need to show that the government of your home country or a group within the country that your government can't protect you from or won't protect you from is looking to target you uh, on account of a a certain uh, immutable characteristic that you may have, such as your race, your religion, your political beliefs, uh, or your membership in a particular social group. And it's, it's clear to me that unvaccinated Canadians are a cognizable specific group of individuals that are, being, are having their liberties restrained by not being able to freely travel and potentially uh, having their religious liberties restrained if they have opposition to the vaccine as a result of their religious beliefs and the, uh, the use of stem cells uh, in furtherance of the development of uh, the vaccine itself.
4: Right. Uh, I guess the problem now is how would an unvaccinated Canadian get to uh, America uh, as of November 30th? We won't be able to fly, get on a train. We can't drive across the border because the border uh, remains closed to the U.S. to unvaccinated. Uh, I guess we uh, I'm not sure how we would do that anyway. Let, let me ask you. Well, the- yeah, go ahead. That's
6: an interesting question because if, uh, if a Canadian were to present themselves and claim asylum, they are, there are certain protections that are in place um, with respect to the procedures that are required to be followed. So if they presented themselves at a land board of entry, if they were to drive to, to the United States uh, and present themselves in the port of entry, there would be uh, a summary assessment as to their admissibility to the country. Uh, there would be a finding of inadmissibility as a result of preconceived immigrant intention to come to the U.S. to avail themselves of the protection of the United States. And then after that, they should be allowed to uh, present a preliminary case to an asylum officer who will assess whether or not they have a reasonable fear. And if they do have that reasonable fear, they'll be uh, then permitted to potentially be legally allowed, to, or actually paroled into the United States, which means they'll physically be allowed to enter the U.S. potentially uh, without being admitted to the country in order to present a full asylum claim before an immigration judge.
4: They would then be given a court date and then they would just... Yes,
6: yes ultimately
4: that's the way it,
6: it could work. Uh, there is the risk of being taken into, into custody though. Uh, so uh, that's something um, obviously if there were a large group of of individuals from Canada that were going to be taken into custody. I'm sure it would make international news. No doubt. No. Doubt. And the, the facilities in the United States don't really have the capacity to hold large numbers right now anyways.
4: Now, um, if the United States has similar laws. So, for example, you know, President Biden could at some point uh, create a mandate where Americans could not travel uh, by plane, air or sea, if they're not vaccinated, if Americans are sort of suffering under the same types of, uh, you know, vaccine mandates. Could a Canadian still claim refugee status in America?
6: Well, uh, yes, they would still be eligible to make that application. The question becomes how successful they would be. And I, it's obviously, uh, I, I've been practicing immigration law for just shy of 25 years. I'm not aware of any mm-hmm. Canadian asylum case, cases that I've ever handled, but mm-hmm. this is a, Well, we live in interesting times, don't we? Um, But if that were to happen, obviously, we have the Constitution of the United States that protects uh, religious liberties. And I'm assuming that there are going to be a number of challenges that are going to make their ways through the courts. I have a a dear friend who is uh, facing, uh, actually, a number of dear friends that are facing the loss of employment as a result of their own vaccination. uh, And uh, lawsuits are, are in the process of being filed, have already been filed, and with a little bit of luck, the Supreme Court sees fit to uh, adhere to the, the principles that this country. was Well, my country was founded on.
4: Matthew Colkin is a trial lawyer with expert, uh, expertise in all aspects of the United States immigration law, Partner with Colkin and Colkin in Buffalo, New York. Uh, the window uh, for travel will close on November the 30th. If someone were to fly to the United States from Canada before the mandate kicks in, uh, could they then from the United States uh, show up at an immigration law office and 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 claim refugee status or try.
6: Yes, yeah, so what they if they were already inside of the United States, then they, there's a different process. They would be able to affirmatively file an asylum application, claiming that they fear persecution if they are forcibly returned to Canada, setting forth the the basis for their claim, and an asylum officer from within from inside of the United States to adjudicate that application. Who knows how long that will take? Right now. Uh, because of the number of people that have flooded the southern border, about well, the United States' the southern border, um, it's going to take a number of months, if not years, to adjudicate that application. And then if they're unsuccessful, at that point, the the case would be referred to an immigration judge to do what's called a de novo review, where they would take a fresh look at it, despite what the asylum officer's findings were. And they would be allowed to remain in the United States during dependency of the appeals process, as well as to assert whatever other defenses they have to defeat removal.
4: Matthew, do you hear refugee claims at your uh, law office?
6: Often. It's, uh, it's a, a very large
4: portion of my practice. All right. Do you want to give us a website?
6: <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, first of all, my Twitter is at M-K-O-L-K-E-N is in Nancy. And my website is kolkenlaw.com, dot wcom
4: All right, Matthew, I have a feeling you might be very busy very soon. Thank you so much for your time. Unfortunately, yes. Thanks for having me. Matthew Colkin, Colkin and Colkin Law in Buffalo, New York. All right. When we come back, the vaccine mandate allows exemptions for two hundred and twelve thousand federal employees, including postal workers and federal judges. Why? I guess they have a strong union. We'll uh, discuss with Tom Korski, the managing editor of BlackLock's Reporter in three minutes.
3: Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's The Richard
4: Sarah Show. Government announced its vaccine mandate yesterday for public servants. Remember, the uh, federal government is Canada's largest single employer. And public servants must show they're fully vaccinated by October 29th or face unpaid administrative leave. Disciplinary action expected to begin November 15th. And uh, the policy also applies to those who work from home, if you can believe it, and outside of the country. That's a real head scratcher. However, another interesting aspect of this is the number of employees, federal employees, who are exempt The list of exemptions is actually longer, I would say, than the list of those that are required uh, to participate in the mandate. Tom Korski, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter, is with us. Hey, Tom, how are you?
1: Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing?
0: When I was diagnosed with cancer, it felt like my whole world came tumbling down. Patient Advocate Foundation is here for you, providing free one-on-one practical support to patients with a cancer diagnosis. Call us at 800-532-5274. Patient Advocate Foundation can assist in navigating disability benefits and health insurance options. PAF also helps in accessing vital services, medications, and financial resources for both medical and household expenses. Visit patientadvocate.org or call 800-532-5274.
7: I'm well, thank you, Richard.
4: Something like two hundred and twelve thousand employees or two thirds. Did I read that correctly? Two thirds of uh, uh, the public service are exempt.
7: Yeah, there's lots of exemptions, and that's because it's a fake program. There's no deadline and there's going to be no penalties when they say uh, we see data today, Richard that uh, crown agencies and departments uh, already have about 97% in some of them, 97% vaccination rates. So what's the problem? What's with the fake deadlines and the fake threats? No one's going to get fired. They're all covered by union contracts or collective agreements. And if anyone was fired or put on a uh, leave without pay, we, they will see them in court. And <laughs> those proceedings will go on for six years. Provincial court, federal court and the federal public uh, sector labor relations board. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is scapegoating. This has nothing to do with science. It has nothing to do with public safety. It has everything to do with politics. And it's about scapegoating.
4: And and trying to, to look, you know, tough, I guess, and appeal to uh, what I call his uh, his true and on base, his uh, intolerant, smug, uh, angry base that uh, also would like to scapegoat the uh, the unvaccinated. But um, federal judges, for example, are exempt. Um, Postal workers, meat packers. uh, Is that because they have a, a an ironclad contract or just a strong union that the rest of us don't have?
7: It's because in in those specific cases, the Treasury Board cannot apply the policy to crown corporations like Canada Post. They can't apply it to the federal court. Those are theoretically independent agencies and they govern themselves. But, I mean, why do you scapegoat? You, You know, you have a witch burning when the crops fail. Scapegoating works when things are going badly and you need to divert attention. Richard, this thing was supposed to be over. Everyone's fed up. Lots of questions about mismanagement. Where are we going? When is this thing going to end? They don't know. Thus, we need to start having a few witch burnings to deflect the (laughs) pressing public questions about why we got where we are and how we get out. And cabinet doesn't have the answers.
4: Right. Let me just uh, continue to ask about some of the other exemptions here. Uh, The military, uh, our armed forces. How are they in the United States? You know, they're they're um, the the military. They have to take the jab or face expulsion. Uh, What's happening up here? Uh, Are they just refusing to comply or why do they not have uh, why do they have an exemption?
7: Because they're not considered core public administration. Core public administration; those are the big federal offices that typically an average ratepayer would never enter. You know, these are clerks, managers, that sort of thing of people who process files. Uh, the military is its own operation: soldiers, sailors, and aircrew. Uh, may be subject to any subsequent order by cabinet. But frankly, they don't have the men and women to lose. This is the least of the military's problems, is endorsing a fake mandate with serious repercussions for people who walk away. What well, You know, the Canadian Revenue Agency is exempt from this. And do you know why, Richard? Because they need everyone hands on deck. It's coming up on tax time. They can't have 6% of their employees say, you know what, I'm out of here. Forget it. So thus, we're left with this. This very sounds like a very threatening vaccine compulsory vaccination mandate. And it's not at all. Tax auditors are exempt.
4: Right. Right. So to our House of Commons and Senate staff, how can they mandate MPs be vaccinated, but not staff members of the House of Commons or the Senate?
7: And they can't even uh, mandate MPs. You cannot deny an MP his seat in the House of Commons based on his medical history, just like the rest of us cannot lose our jobs based on medical history. Those MPs weren't sent here on cabinet say so. They were just elected. We just had an election. They represent their constituents and they will take their seat. Do you know why I can say that authoritatively, Richard? Because it's in the House rules. You cannot deny an MP from taking his seat. So you see, there's this disconnect between the threats, between the sloganeering, and between the facts.
4: Ah, All right. Well, that sounds promising, actually. Uh, Let me um, let me take a quick time out, Tom, come back and let me get your take on the uh, the other recently announced mandate, and that is for uh, basically all travel, unvaccinated, Uh, now prisoners, effective uh, November 30th in their own country. Back with more of our discussion in three minutes.
3: You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 a.m.
4: For months, I've been telling you about the wonderful health products from my good friends at North American Herb and Spice, and I've been telling you and everyone I know about how to get maximum immune support from P seventy three Wild Oregano. Now, whether you prefer the drops, the gel caps, powder, or even inhalants, North American Herb and Spice has a whole line of wild oregano supplements to support a healthy immune response. P seventy three Wild Oregano is available at fine health food stores across the GTA, or you can order online at oregano.com visit the website sign up for the north american herb and spice newsletter and then receive five percent off when you order online p73 wild oregano for a healthy immune system the website once again oregano.com o-r-e-g-a-n-o-l o-r-e-g-a-n-o-l O R E G A N O L, oreganol.com. Tom Korski stays with us, managing editor of Blacklocks Reporter, the website blacklocks.ca. Blacklocks.ca. Take a moment and uh, subscribe and uh, help support uh, independent news in this country. We need them more than ever. Uh, we've been talking about the, uh, the mandate for federal employees, two thirds of, of whom are exempt from the vaccine mandate. Now, those uh, that are not exempt, you're saying that this is a paper tiger. Do you suspect that their their union representatives are telling them just hold fast? This is this is not going anywhere. You're not going to lose your job. You don't have to comply.
7: Well, the largest public sector union in town, uh, the Public Service Alliance of Canada, has said, look, at the, uh, no one's getting fired. And we stand for a vaccination, of course, but also civil liberties. We still have those in our country. Medical, religious exemptions, those are allowed. And even under the federal program, Richard, you don't have to prove, uh, show proof of vaccination automatically. There is no vaccine passport. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a bonfire. But anyone who's listening to us will say, this sounds confusing and frightening. And that's the point cabinet it wants people to be confused and frightened. And then you just do what you're told. It's a dark place, but that's where we are.
4: Now, that's federally. I don't know if you can address what's happening provincially. We, I mean, we have nurses that are being uh, fired and, and teachers being fired. Uh, should they also hold fast? Because, again, this ultimately will be proven to be a paper tiger, even at the provincial level?
7: You cannot fire anyone, especially if they have a collective agreement, even if they didn't, based on their medical history. It's like firing green-eyed people. Those are bad people. We can't have those people. This is not based on evidence. There's not even data that shows that vaccine mandates work. And in some of these cases we mentioned earlier, Richard, where you have crown agencies that already have 97% vaccination rates, what, what is the point? They can't articulate the point, but they use fear and they use confusion.
4: All right. So let's talk about the travel ban then. Is this also ultimately a paper tiger or will this take a, a, a charter challenge to overturn? What are your thoughts on keeping the unvaccinated, for, uh, preventing them from from leaving their own country? One of our most fundamental you know, mobility rights.
7: This gets really interesting, and there was technical briefings on this with reporters, which were not illuminating, and this was contact with federal regulators. We asked the questions. So originally they set a Halloween deadline. They've now extended that a month. They say for domestic travel, you must prove vaccination, prove vaccination. You must have your Vax Passport or your papers. But there's no standard papers, and there's no standard Vax Passport. Well, that gets complicated. Our question was, okay, I've prepaid cash on the barrel for an airline ticket, and then you change the rules. First of all, let's see the written rules. I need to know that because I have a contract with my airline. Well, there are no written rules. They say, well, we're working on it. I say, I'm denied boarding. That's a legal term under the Canadian Transportation Act. You paid for a ticket and then the airline says you can't board. Okay, how about my refund? They will be flooded with tens of thousands of complaints at the federal regulator. They couldn't answer the question because this is about announcement, sowing confusion, generating fear. Not about science, medicine or public health. So wait for it. This time of year, Richard, 80,000 passengers a day are going through Pearson and every other airport in the country. 80,000 a day. Wait for the lineups. Head for the airport early because you're going to be lining up.
4: Wow. So it's going to be absolute chaos. And you're saying what? Mayhem. The, it will, it will This mandate will simply crumble under its own weight, collapse under its own weight?
7: Or the regulator, Canadian Transportation Agency, will be hearing complaints on this for the next six years, just like the courts will. For anyone who thinks they can fire a fellow Canadian based on their medical history, you cannot do it. We still have that. They can't take that.
4: Well, Tom, you come bearing uh, potentially very good news. This is uh, this is very illuminating. I think a lot of people are with my relief, perhaps.
7: What's sad, though, is that it's a real dog's breakfast, isn't it? You say, how can something as fundamental as this people's livelihoods, people's right of mobility? How can it be this dark, this confusing, this fearful? Why would they do that? I, I guess that's a rhetorical question.
4: There you go. All right. Again, let's uh, direct people to BlackLocks.ca, BlackLocks.ca, BlackLocks Reporter, Minding Ottawa's Business. Take a moment and uh, subscribe. And uh, you're getting great, uh, great news and illumination, just like Tom Korski provided with us right now. Tom, thank you so much, as always.
7: Thank you, Richard.
4: Tom Korski, Managing Editor, BlackLocks Reporter. All right. When we come back, we push back against radical gender... Ideology. Linda Blade will be here from Canadian women's sex based rights. Stay with us.
3: Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News talk saga 960 a.m.
4: All right. Welcome back. Thursdays, we push back against radical gender ideology. Linda Blade is co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial. Are destroying sport, and uh, she is also Cosbar's representative on women's sports. Cosbar is Canadian Women's Sex Based Rights. Linda, welcome back. How are you?
8: Thank you, Richard. I'm doing well. This is, uh, I guess, a topic that we're going to talk about is not the sports one this time.
4: No. However, we should point out uh, that uh, your book on sporting, which you co-authored with Barbara Kay. Uh, mm-hmm. And now translated into French and you're heading. Yes. You're heading over to France to speak uh, to uh, this to or-
8: women's groups.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes.
8: Yeah. We need to have a um, just to say very quickly, we need to have a consensus globally on how we want to negotiate with the International Olympic Committee. And so um, we're heading down the road slowly talking to each other and trying to figure out, You know, the key pillars, the key arguments we need to make uh, to protect women's sports. So I'm on the journey.
4: All right. Terrific. Now, um, Abigail Schrott, tell me about this journalist. People may not be aware uh, she caused quite a storm with Mm her uh, called uh, Irreversible Damage, the transgender craze seducing our daughters. Uh, There were attempts (coughs) in the book, I think, on Amazon and so forth. But she's been very courageous, like yourself and other members of Cosbar. We um, uh, talked with some doctors who actually perform transgender surgery. I understand. What were the circumstances?
8: Yes. Mm. So, um, first of all, apologies if my system is is going in and out. I hope it's okay. Um, so, Abigail Schreier is a hero, heroine of all of ours. Uh, she wrote irre- 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 Irreversible Damage, the book, as you have pointed out, And she managed to obtain um, um, an interview with Dr. Marcy Bowers, who's a vaginoplasty specialist, a surgeon, and Erica Anderson, the clinical psychologist, both of whom work at the University of California, San Francisco Child and Adolescent Gender Clinic. And it was quite a revelation. I mean, this Dr. Marcy Bowers apparently has done over 2,000 surgeries on children, uh, turning penises into vaginas, apparently, and of course, has been doing this for quite a while. The, both of these doc- doctors are members of the WPATH, which is the basically the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. So it's called WPATH. And they are board members, and actually Dr. Marcy Bowers is slated to become the president of this association. And there's been quite uh, – this interview was groundbreaking in that these two uh, transgender doctors surgeons made some startling revelations and admissions about their experience with trans transitioning children.
4: All right. And so th- – the transitioning of the, of the children, what age mm-hmm. start? I mean, how young are these children?
8: How, Some of them started as early as age nine, sometimes age 11 and then from there onwards.
4: And so, yeah. Are they, are they, um, after the surgery, is that when the, the hormone blockers uh, are utilized or is it before the surgery?
8: No, normally the, 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 System. It's sort of a three-step process. A child will say, "I let's say your uh, child is a boy, a born male," uh, and they and the child says, "I I think I'm a girl." So then, that the doctors right away the WPATH methodology was to put them on puberty blockers right away. These are just this is uh, drugs. As you've spoken with uh, Billboard Chris, another like the drug that stops puberty from happening. So it gives them a chance to wait and think about it. At least that was the original intent. But what happens is these kids are losing ground. They're not growing. Nothing's happening. You know, there's uh, developmental delays start to happen because puberty has been blocked. So right away, they want to go into the opposite sex hormones. So boys get estrogen and girls the girls get testosterone if they're transitioning. So the steps are one, puberty, puberty blockade. Secondly, then run wrong sex hormones. so they're giving like a little girl would get a lot of testosterone instead of estrogen uh, to to sort of catch up to quote male puberty if that's even possible in a girl's body. And then the final stage would be the the surgery, the the changing like if you were a young lady, uh, the breast would come off so that you could look more like a man. and for boys, the surgery to change the penis into a vagina.
4: Okay. now so these doctors that sat down with, Abigail Schreier, again, mm-hmm. author of Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters." Right. What were these startling admissions that they made?
8: Well, the bombshell one is about the sexual function and your ability to be intimate. So what they actually identified in this interview was amongst all the other things, you know, obviously the surgical complications are one thing and permanent and, and sterility, you know, long-term lifetime sterility. But the, the one that they've brought up was they call it orgasmic, uh, orgasmic naivete. And, and basically, Dr. Bowers said um, the, how it works is if you've never experienced orgasm pre-surgery, so when you're a child, then, then you go on puberty blockers. What happens is it, it then becomes very difficult to achieve that. There's some sort of a brain-body um, connection with having an orgasm and being intimate that if you actually go through this surgery uh, and you have never experienced it naturally, you can't regain it. So, so these poor people who are going through this transition, young people, they're going to spend their whole life just having complete frustration, trying to figure out how to be intimate with other people.
4: Wow. And, and did they indicate how common a result that is from, Undergoing this transgendering uh, or transgender procedure, is that yeah? Is- it's
8: almost it's it's almost inevitable. Like if it's if you never experience this as a young child, you won't have it afterwards. After all the surgery and transitioning.
4: So did this did this uh, lead these doctors to conclude that they should stop performing these procedures?
8: Well, I think that the admission that was kind of you know startling is really the fact that. Um, they feel that the catching on of this craze, this transitioning of children has been done in a very sloppy manner. Um, and so really it's been, uh, they said that it's doctors have, instead of been, you know, taking great, great care and interviewing a young child who uh, is gender dysphoric or presents as wanting somehow to be the opposite sex, instead of going through a series of psychological um, tests and reviews and careful monitoring first, really investigate what the comorbidities are, co- like what's that, what else is going on there in their lives, like what, what else might be causing them to think this way, um, within an hour, and it's very well known, and within an hour of the first uh, doctor's appointment, often to, for a little girl, for example, um, the cross-sex hormone, like the testosterone is injected immediately without even trying to find out if this is maybe something that's just a red herring and they're just copying whatever they see online.
4: My word, that's that's absolutely chilling. Um, mm-hmm. Have they done have they done long term any any long-term studies regarding uh, the the mental health of people that have undergone, Sort of reassignment surgery and hormone blockers and so forth later in life.
8: Well, these particular this particular interview didn't go into any of that. Like they haven't, they didn't really admit. The only thing they admitted to was, um, you know, that the W path um, was literally, and they had even admitted this, Richard, that the W path um, was excluding doctors who would question the current medical protocols. They were actually excluding the The expertise of other people. I, I'm I'm deflecting for a minute, but that was the one of the huge admissions. Also in this interview, they literally did admit that they were shutting down any any critical voices coming from other doctors who cared about these children. But then there's other researchers that, and research I've read on my own, separate from all of these interviews uh, or these documents here, that actually it would appear that if you have a dysphoria When I was diagnosed
0: with cancer, it felt like my whole world came tumbling down. Patient Advocate Foundation is here for you, providing free one-on-one practical support to patients with a cancer diagnosis. Call us at 800-532-5274. Patient Advocate Foundation can assist in navigating disability benefits and health insurance options. PAF also helps in accessing vital services, medications, and financial resources for both medical and household expenses. Visit patientadvocate.org or call 800-532-5274.
8: The suicidality, um, it goes up even more after transition. A lot of times, as you can imagine, if you think transition is going to solve your mental, uh, whatever the mental problem is that you have or the mental situation that you find yourself in where you're frustrated, and if you find that after all that transitioning and all the pain of the surgery and all of of the, the physical problems that come with it, and then you get to the other side of that, and you can imagine in the U.S., a lot of people spend a huge amount of money to do this because it's not, you know, universal health care there. And then they, they get to the other side and they don't feel indifferent or they feel worse. And so they're more likely to commit suicide afterwards.
4: It's just one tragedy piled on top of another.
8: Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
4: Linda, thank you so much for bringing this art to our attention. Appreciate your time, as always.
8: Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Richard.
4: The Blade, co author of Unsporting How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport, and the Cosbars representative on women's sports. All right, hour two awaits. Stay with us.
2: The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management.
4: Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard
3: Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM.
4: Hey, welcome to hour two. We're going to follow up on that conversation I had uh, with Tom Korski, managing editor of Blacklock's Reporter a short while ago with uh, the uh, executive director of um, uh, Canadian Constitution Foundation and uh, Joanna Barron, executive director canadian constitution foundation and i'll uh, i'll ask joanna many of the same questions i asked tom i'll get her take on it is our crime minister's mandatory vaccination requirement for nearly all travel is it legal will there be a charter challenge would it stand up to a charter challenge and uh, are the unvaccinated basically prisoners in their own country Tom Korski seems to think this is all a paper tiger, and I'm kind of encouraged by that, but we, we shall see. We shall see. Art Moore uh, will join us as well from WND, World Net Daily. And uh, he's co author of the best selling book, See Something, Say Nothing. And we'll talk about uh, this grant proposal that's been uncovered that was submitted to DARPA, that's the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. And uh, in the proposal, a scientist was funded in part by Dr. Anthony Fauci, or I guess Dr. Fauci's agency, which is under the National Institute of Health. And uh, the proposal was a plan to create a novel coronavirus in 2018. Is that the smoking gun? We'll find out.
3: News, not in the news. News
4: right, Louie, hearing all these ridiculous guidelines about Halloween, you know, make sure you wear a surgical, incorporate a mask into your costume, but don't put a regular mask over a, a non-surgical mask and make sure that you don't shout trick or treat. You know what? Just shove it. Is where the, that's what that's my response. Shove it.
5: <laughs> well, you've gotten quite, you know, that's the kind of comment I'd expect from me. I'm shocked to hear it coming from you.
4: A bad influence, Lou, you see. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Although, you know, I look at it this way, Richard, um, you know, if I, I think that you're right in terms of the theater of uh, public health. Right. I, I don't agree with it. But, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to send your kid out and have them tackled on somebody's lawn? Are the quizlings going to Call you into the, you know, uh, virus Gestapo. You know, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Well,
4: luckily, I guess my boys are beyond the age of trick or treating. So oh, come on
5: now, how old are
4: they? They'll be fifteen on on uh, Sunday. Fifteen. So you mean
5: to tell me at 15 in this day and age they're too old to throw eggs on somebody's house or
4: doesn't matter. No, we, the, the, yeah, that we, we used to call that devil's night, right?
5: <laughs> a little bit of running around busting pumpkins, right?
4: You and Vinny Pinto from uh,
5: No, not Vinny. No? no, no, not Vinny. No. Well, he lived in another area. Okay? So we all went to this uh like a catchment school, right? So he lived in uh, what's called Fresh Meadows. And I lived in Flushing and never should the twain meet. You couldn't meet. (laughs) Well, he had his gang over in Fresh Meadows, and I had my gang in Flushing, right?
4: You were the Jets and they were the what? (laughs) The Sharks. Sharks. That's it. Once a jet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no,
5: I mean, it's not like we got into trouble, but you know, on Halloween, you kind of stayed local, right?
4: Right, right.
5: You know, whereas, you know, on other than Halloween, you know, you could get together and so on, right? But exactly. on Halloween, you kind of stayed local. So you can make trouble locally.
4: That's it. That's it. All right. Uh, let's get to the German idiom of the day, my friend. Bring it on. Jacob, if you please. German idiom of the day is The kannst du gift drauf nehmen The kannst du gift drauf nehmen The kannst du gift drauf nehmen
5: Gift I'm getting something Is that it? There's like, you know, here you are Get ready It's a big box
4: <laughs> uh, Sort of Maybe No, not so much uh, The kannst du gift drauf nehmen The literal translation is You can take poison on that Huh poison on that so the the English equivalent any idea what the English equivalent is
5: anything to do with poison you know really has to be handled carefully
4: <laughs> It means uh, basically you can bet your life on that you can bet your life on that the constant gift drauf nehmen.
5: well you know I, anytime uh, you know you say take poison you know what I say you better know what you're doing.
4: Sure, sure. You
5: better know what you're doing.
4: There's a famous line. Was it in uh, was it someone um, in in the British Parliament? It was a a woman said to Churchill, sir, if you were my husband, I would I would feed you poison. And uh, Churchill said, Madam, if you were my wife, I would drink that poison. (laughs) Exactly.
5: Exactly. (laughs) But you got to be careful, because if it's not strong enough, you miss your target. If it's too strong, you don't have time to get away.
4: Right, right. So you tell the person, make make sure you drink the entire glass, because sometimes the poison goes down to the bottom.
5: That's right. Lick it. <laughs> Big tongue action at the bottom.
4: We were talking about DARPA earlier, because yes. relating to, uh, you know, this coronavirus story. But you sent me this uh, story from the Military Times Eight weird DARPA projects that make science fiction seem like real life. And I'm just looking at some of these are fantastic. A plant eating robot. Uh, It was called the Energy Autonomous Tactical Robot. It sought to create robots that could feed off plants just as animals do. Uh, What are some of the other ones here? Houses that repair themselves.
5: Well, again... They have needs, right? The military has needs. You know, when you talk about uh, robots that, you know, eat plants, I I assume that, you know, they're going to send those out into the environment. And, you know, you can't keep plugging them in or lugging cans of juice to feed their needs, right? So they're looking for stuff. They're always funding all kinds of advanced research. And it may sound wacky. But sometimes it leads to the right thing. Like you know, DARPA did a fund the development of the internet as well as GPS, global uh, positioning system. Right. It's all out of DARPA,
4: right? Sometimes, yeah, they well, many times these things are, are military applications, and then they find their way into the consumer world. So, for example, my understanding is that the the um, the internal combustion engine. That was kind of uh, uh, it came out of the cannon because the, you have essentially if you look at a um, if you look at the um, the internal combustion engine and the piston, that's like a cannon, right? You're putting OK you're plunging down into it. you're plunging the, uh, the
5: well, they haven't figured out how to weaponize the uh, internal combustion engine yet, but they're working on
4: it. what I'm saying is it happened in reverse. The 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 the, um, impetus for the internal combustion engine I've read was actually a cannon. Hmm. There you go. Houses. cells, A lab grown blood. There you go. That's a good one. Cyber cyborg insects. We've talked about that before. Brain implants for PTSD. So either that or Molly. (laughs) <laughs> they're not just focusing on cool gadgets for fighting war. Sometimes they fund research on solutions for the negative effects of war. So brain implants to relieve PTSD. There you go. That's uh, all part of um, some of DARPA's weird projects. That makes Well, it's
5: it- all, you know, it's all weird until, you know, you can either uh, turn it over to the civilians or weaponize it. One of the two.
4: Okay.
5: Pick your, you know, left hand, right hand, you know.
4: Exactly. So uh, the Motley Fool, I saw this on the Motley Fool. This is a shocker, this headline. Canada loses 97 percent of its U.S. tourists. Did you see this? Yeah,
5: Yeah, I saw it.
4: Are you surprised? Well, I I knew it would. They they took a a big uh, ding, but I didn't think I thought maybe 50, 60 percent. But 97 percent of our U.S. tourists and Air Canada's response priority boarding for elite passengers.
5: Well, those are the people you really want, Richard, because they pay full freight and PDI. Tourists are looking for the cheapest uh, seat they can find. So you lose the tourists and you lose the hotels and you lose the restaurant meals and everything else, right? But, you know, imagine, you know, you're, you know, come and discover Canada where you'll be tied up like a hostage and not able to leave until we tell you so. Now, there's an appealing tourist message. Sometimes you pay
4: extra for that. <laughs> <laughs> the cat of nine miles and the blindfold. Oh, oh, oh. That's a specialist trip. Yeah, the tourism industry lost $52 billion in 2021 compared to 2019. And uh, most shocking is how many Americans have stopped traveling to Canada. As compared to 2019, Canada lost around 97% of its overnight American tourists in the first half of twenty twenty one from six point eight million travelers to just one hundred and seventy eight thousand.
5: Doesn't sound very welcoming, huh? No,
4: no, no. Here,
5: put on this mask here. You got to be jabbed here. You can't go through that door. It's like, you know what? I'm going to stay in Ohio. That's the message.
4: <laughs> there you go.
5: You know, or, you know, the old saying, I can get that kind of grief at home. OK.
4: Uh, all right so sebastian is he uh is he there biting your hand waiting to be walked
5: no uh he's been okay linda's here now she can you know fill in when his needs are extreme but he's kind of quiet you know madeline is in finland right now so he's a little bit you know uh how can i put it a little off put if you will (gasps) oh my god it's it's a five traffic on the fives i gotta go
1: is running out this message is paid for by lines for fair and equitable policy
4: when we come back is our crime minister's mandatory vaccination vaccination requirement for nearly all travel legal would it withstand a charter challenge we'll speak with joanna baron executive director of the canadian constitution foundation next
3: welcome back to the richard sarah show on news talk saga 960 a.m
4: All right. The uh, mandate that will prevent unvaccinated citizens from boarding planes, boarding marine vessels, boarding planes in this country will take full effect, we're told, as of uh, the end of November. Is this legal? Uh, Would this this withstand a charter challenge? Or are the uh, unvaccinated destined to become prisoners in their own country at the end of November? Here to discuss is Joanna Barron, Executive Director of uh, the Canadian Constitution Foundation. Joanna, welcome.
2: Great to be with you.
4: So the announcement that came down yesterday, just uh, sort of your general thoughts, first of all.
2: Yeah, so I think that it's pretty difficult for the government to claim that this is. So in constitutional law terms, we always look at if a government action is minimally impairing, i.e. could they have achieved a similar outcome with the last less drastic uh, action? And when you look at the availability of testing um, and the fact that the government has acknowledged up to this point without vaccines in the pandemic that, you know, testing is a great way to keep people traveling safe, it's just hard to see the removal of testing as an option as anything other than a fundamentally coercive action. And I don't think it's justified, certainly under any public health
4: rationale. So uh, given that um, and given the fact that there's no sort of uniform vaccine passport um, and that there's there's no real, you know, written, uh, I guess, mandate at this point, should people just hold fast or uh, and show up at the airport, you know, at the end of November, even without a vaccine passport? What, I mean, what do you think people should what should people do at this point?
2: I think people should expect that industry will take this very seriously. If there's one thing that we've observed over the last few months is that government has been very comfortable with deputizing industry and business in you know actually implementing vaccine passport rules, and for the most part, um, they play along. Of course, there are small businesses that are exceptions, but certainly WestJet, Air Canada, Via Rail, they had their own plans to impose vaccine mandates prior to the government imposing a rule. So, so no, I I you know as a lawyer, I can't advise anybody to expect to. To effectively circumvent the law, I think I think it will be implemented. Whether it will survive a charter challenge, which I have no doubt will come, and the CCF Canadian Constitution Foundation, our position is we haven't actually seen the written order yet. It hasn't been released, and so we're waiting for that. And what we're going to be looking for when we see the order is, first of all, are there exemptions? So, are there medical exemptions for people who cannot be vaccinated? Are there Religious exemptions. There may be some very rare cases where, for example, um, people of faith object to certain vaccines because uh, because of some concerns about using cells from a feet of Mine. Very rare, but these are things that the law takes very seriously. Are there exemptions? And also, are there exemptions for things like compassionate travel? Flying to Cuba for a vacation is a different thing than flying from Toronto to Vancouver to take care of a sick parent. For example, um, and by the way, travel within Canada has a different status than travel abroad because you have a constitutionally protected right under Section 6 of the Charter to move freely within this country. You don't have a right to fly abroad to Paris, but you do have a right to travel within the country. Um, so that is something that is going to attract a lot of scrutiny.
4: Well, wait, That's interesting. Are you are you saying that we do not have a right as Canadian citizens to come and go and leave our country as we as we please. That's not as enshrined in the Charter.
2: Not not specifically in the Charter, no, because, of course, your your right to enter any other sovereign nation is circumscribed by their rules.
4: True, true. But uh, I would I would have thought that our our right to to come and go and at least leave our country as we as we please.
2: um, I would say, yes, generally, you have a right to leave the country but you don't have any particular right to travel to any particular place. But you're right that, you know, you can't be held under house arrest effectively.
4: So uh, you say you have not seen a a written order. When do you expect to see one? And then what uh, would would the CCF's game plan be uh, once you've seen it?
2: So I would expect that they will release their order certainly by the end of November when the rules come into effect, perhaps sooner, although this government has Uh, waited until the last minute. They certainly waited until the last minute on their quarantine hotels regulation. We didn't see it until actually after the rules had come into place. Um, And then for us, it will be a matter of the individual stories. So Canadians reach out to us all the time um, with very compelling stories. We have actually a challenge right now in British Columbia to their vaccine passport uh, system, which has no medical exemptions. And we're proud to be representing and supporting three individuals who are unable to be vaccinated. One is a teenage girl who developed pericarditis or heart inflammation. Um, one is a uh, woman with very complex medical issues. And another is a woman who developed sort of a neurological condition after her first shot of the vaccine. Um, and so for us, it's, it's all about the individual stories. Um, so we're going to be looking for, as I mentioned, people who have compassionate reasons why they need to travel, why they can't travel by private car, for example, um, or who have have medical reasons that are not caught by the legislation, why they can't be vaccinated. And of course, the next question is, do we think that the rule as a whole is justified? No, we don't. Um, But these are the sort of like the most pressing and persuasive examples that we would bring before a judge to show a severe infringement on liberty of this
4: rule. You're looking for some strategic uh, cases, obviously, that we'll uh, we'll take a quick time out to uh, Joanna. If you could stay with us, we'll uh, discuss further. Joanna Barron, Executive Director, Canadian Constitution Foundation, back with more in three minutes.
3: The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 a.m.
4: And we are back with Joanna Barron, Executive Director, Canadian Constitution Foundation, and we're talking about the recently announced vaccine mandate that would uh, prevent unvaccinated passengers from boarding a marine vessel, a plane or a train in Canada uh, as of November the 30th, up until November the 30th. This will be a transition that will be allowed uh, passengers would be allowed to present proof of a negative test, a negative covid test. But as of November 30th, uh, the um, the rule would be they must present proof of a double vaccination. Uh, now, there is there is, I understand, a, a, co- a concept called denied boarding. And uh, I'm not sure if this is, uh, you know, enshrined in law or whether this is just a a regulation, you know, within the Canadian Transportation uh, Agency. But if someone had a valid ticket, uh, Joanna, and let's say they bought the ticket prior to these uh, these rules being implemented, uh, they have a contract. So but then they they arrive at the airport. They are denied boarding under this mandate. Would they be allowed uh, to seek compensation?
2: You know it's it's a good question. And I assume that each airline will have to determine that for themselves. Of course, there is a uh, a rule about denied boarding. There are policies, but these are exceptional circumstances, right? Um, and you know, even a year ago, this was inconceivable. Canada has gone further than any country that I know of, actually, in this respect. Um, none of the European countries are requiring this. So, so the bottom line is, you know, there are consumer protections. Um, but it seems to me that airlines are going to be very explicit and clear at the time of booking, you know, depending on when you've booked and when you're when you're traveling, what the requirement will be. Um, and so if you show up sort of uh,
8: When I was diagnosed with cancer,
0: it felt like my whole world came tumbling down. Patient Advocate Foundation is here for you, providing free one-on-one practical support to patients with a cancer diagnosis. Call us at 800-532-5274. Patient Advocate Foundation can assist in navigating disability benefits and health insurance options. PAF also helps in accessing vital services, medications, and financial resources for both medical and household expenses. Visit patientadvocate.org or call 800-532-5274.
2: Seemingly in defiance of that communication, they I could see them also, you know, denying you any form of compensation at that point.
4: We, we could see some we, we could see chaos at the airport. So incredibly long. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've been to restaurants in downtown Toronto over the, this last week, but it's a mess. And you can only imagine uh, during travel busy season the things that will come up.
4: Uh, I, I was speaking earlier with Tom Korski from Black Locks Reporter, who was suggesting that this may all be just be kind of, again, theater uh, and ultimately a paper tiger. Any any thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think it, it is an open secret within we, we've seen enough internal government communications at this point that the primary goal of these mandates is not. Um, to reduce infection or to keep people safe, it's just to compel um, the portion of the population which the government is betting needs more stick than carrot to induce them to get vaccinated. Um, that is very much the intention here. Um, but I, I have to, I have to disagree. I've, based on what I've seen uh, in terms of how private private actors and businesses are implementing vaccine mandates at restaurants and bars, which they're doing it quite seriously. Um, I think we have every reason to think that the government is going to go through with this. It's favored by over 80% of the population. Um, of course, part of that is because we have such an extraordinarily high vaccination rate, so that 80% would not be uh, unduly uh, inconvenience from their perspective. Um, so I think they're going to do this. And I, I think that certainly that that industry is going to cooperate with them.
4: I'm not sure if you can answer this at this point, but would uh, a non-citizen who is simply looking to get out of the country and back to their their home, um, would they be subjected to this vaccine mandate? Would they be required?
2: But so that's a really interesting question, right, um, because certainly the rule on its face is any traveler on a flight or a train or whatever originating in canada so on its face if you are trying to get out of the country then you would be caught by this and of course since uh, since earlier this year everybody all foreign citizens who enter the country um, need to be fully vaccinated um, so i would imagine that again we're going to be looking for these types of are there reasonable exemptions there are all any number of reasons why people, would absolutely would be more or less a life or death matter for them to travel. And it would just be simply unconscionable, no matter what, you know, overriding public health objective to subject them to these types of rules. Um, But the government certainly has not delineated that at all. They haven't even delineated what the medical exemptions will be, if there will be. Um, So that is what we'll be looking for when they finally release their rule.
4: What about foreign uh, car- carriers? Um, uh, a foreign airline would they also be required to enforce this mandate?
2: Yeah, that part is pretty clear. And of course, to you know, to enter Canadian airspace, to operate out of Canadian airports, foreign carriers already have to abide by a number of regulations. I, I think that part is very clear. Um, the the opposite side that foreign carriers presumably Or or other carriers, although Air Canada and the major airlines have said they're going to impose their own vaccine mandates. But let's say Air France traveling from Paris to Toronto would not impose this rule. But the same flight going back to Paris
4: would. Uh, And finally, um, in terms of a charter challenge, is it ultimately going to come down to, I guess they call it provision one. I call it the weenie clause, which allows... Uh, All of these charter rights that we supposedly have are subject to reasonable limits. Is that what it's going to come down to? Uh,
2: I I think absolutely. I think any judge would acknowledge that there is a violation of rights. There's a violation of Section 6, the right to mobility. There's a violation of Section 7, life, liberty and security of the person, which applies to all of us. I would add vaccinated and unvaccinated. So then it will come down to, as you said, the weenie clause, balancing the objectives. And there, this is why I started off our conversation by saying, is it minimally impairing? That is a weenie clause question. And when you look at the availability of testing, when you look at the exceptionally high vaccination rate in this country, when you look at the fact that air travel certainly is considered quite low risk and has been throughout the pandemic, it's, it's hard to see how this draconian of a rule can possibly be justified.
4: Well, let's uh, let's hope you're right, Joanna. We got to win one anyway. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Joanna Barron, executive director of Canadian Constitution Foundation. When we come back, Art Moore from WorldNet Daily will be here with a fascinating story inv- involving COVID and DARPA. Back with that story in three minutes.
3: Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Sartre Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. So,
4: this may be the smoking gun, maybe, maybe not. American and Chinese scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology planned in 2018 to create a novel coronavirus not found in nature, according to a grant proposal uh, that was submitted to the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA. Here with Moore is Art Moore, author of uh, uh, author at WND and co-author of the best-selling book, See Something, Say Nothing. Art, welcome back. Oh, Art is not quite uh, connected yet. He's I think we might have him now. Art, are you there? Yes. Welcome in, my friend. Appreciate your time.
9: Hey. hey, thank you, Richard.
4: All right. So uh, this proposal, this grant proposal that was submitted to DARPA, we, we understand partially funded, I guess, by the NIH. That would be uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci's uh, the National Institute of Health. This uh, umbrella organization He's part of that. So who actually it was funded by uh, Fauci's NIH. But who actually made the proposal?
9: Yeah, so uh, Peter Daszak is a scientist who is the head of a nonprofit called EcoHealth Alliance. And his nonprofit has been involved over the past decade with studying these bat coronaviruses at the Wuhan lab. This is the lab that's at the center of of these investigations of the origins of of the pandemic. And uh, it turns out that, that Daszak in this case, was asking for more money. He was asking for it from this agency that's related to the Defense Department called DARPA. And uh, what he wanted to do was was to work with these Chinese researchers, American and Chinese researchers, working together to create a coronavirus, a novel coronavirus uh, that resembles natural viruses, and and the intent of this. And and this is what's known as the gain of function research, which is taking a virus that's in nature, that's moving from animal to animal and engineering it so that it can actually be transmitted between humans. And you do that because you think, well, this could be a threat in the future and you want to get ahead uh, by creating uh, treatments and possibly vaccines in advance. But obviously, uh, having proposed this in 2018, Uh, And to be clear, the the U.S. government rejected this particular funding proposal. But we know that others of a similar kind were accepted. So we know that that research was going on. Daszak himself is on video boasting of uh, working with these Chinese researchers to create uh, these nasty, deadly viruses. And again, you know, there's there's this good intent of getting ahead of viruses, but this particular kind of research was actually banned by the U.S. government, uh, beginning with the Obama administration for several years uh, because of the risk of an outbreak, because of the risk of it leading to a pandemic, which is what many people believe actually has
4: happened. Do we know why DARPA uh, denied the funding? Was it because they thought it was reckless and, and dangerous?
9: That's exactly right. They, they did say that. They said it's just too risky.
4: But- DARPA refused it, but somebody else ended up funding it. Right. We know that that type of research took place at Wuhan. Um, we we, know-
9: yes, we, we we can't say for sure in this particular instance, but we know that there are many other uh, studies and, and, and funded studies that went on that were in fact funded, at least in part by Anthony Fauci's agency, which is a different agency than DARPA. It's the as, as you said, it's under the National Institutes of Health. It's his allergy and infectious disease um, section underneath NIH.
4: So the uh, the idea that they wanted to mimic, I I suppose, um, a um, creative virus that would mimic one found in nature. Um, Would that would that mean that if that there would be a, a, a sequence in in uh, the coronavirus, I mean, if in fact they did mimic one in nature, that this if this was in fact created in a lab, um, would there be sort of a signature in the 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 sequence, the DNA sequence uh, of the virus that would be that would uh, indicate it was man-made?
9: Yeah, that's right. There's as as people know, DNA is. Uh, this idea of a, of a code. And and so they can, scientists can, can break this down and they can look at the code of, of coronaviruses that are in nature. And they can look at this particular one and they can see no uh, connection with, uh, in fact, they've even studied a thousand different coronaviruses in nature and none of them are like this one, this particular one that has ravaged the world.
4: In other words, they haven't been able to find a match uh, for so, SARS-CoV-2 in nature, despite. Right.
9: Yeah, that's right. If, if they if they found a match, then they could say, well, maybe the natural theory uh, has some uh, evidence for it. But they found no evidence for the natural uh, theory. And, and by the way, uh, the head of NIH, um, Francis Collins, a very renowned, well-known scientist. In fact, he is behind the decoding of DNA. Uh, but he just yesterday announced he's resigning, and that's in the wake of of these revelations, such as the one that we're talking about. And of course he says it's because, well, he's you know getting older and it's time for him to move on. But uh, it, it does seem that this would be the time for somebody like him to to stay on board where we're, we're facing uh, you know this this global crisis. And uh, yesterday he was interviewed and asked about the possibility of that connection. And he says, no, 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 no connection there. And then he was asked, well, what do you think about the lab leak theory? And he says, you know, by, by now he can't rule it out because there's so much evidence. But he still says, I, I think I think the natural theory uh, makes a lot more sense. But, but he, he admitted there's no evidence for it. But but why would he I mean, it's pretty obvious why he would uh, favor the natural theory because his NIH uh, has been funding this dangerous research over all these years. And it does appear there's more and more evidence that it's connected to the outbreak and a pandemic that resulted.
4: Art, stay will uh, come back and discuss further. Art, author, uh, author at WorldNetDaily or WND, WND.com, the website, co author of the best selling book, See Something, Say Nothing. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes.
3: Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM.
4: We're back with Art Moore, who's a journalist at World Net Daily, WND, WND.com, co author of the best selling book, See Something, Say Nothing. We're talking about uh, this um, fund or, or a proposal, a grant proposal to DARPA uh, from Echo Alliance. Echo Health Alliance, the nonprofit led by Peter Dazak and uh, funded in part by Dr. Anthony Fauci. It was a, um, a grant proposal for funding to create a novel coronavirus back in 2018. DARPA uh, turned down the grant, but uh, it's possible they went elsewhere and, and received funding. So Peter Daszak, is, um, was he not sort of appointed to investigate this whole origin of the uh, the virus and whether there was a leak at Wuhan. I mean, isn't that kind of the fox guarding the hen house? He has a conflict of interest if he was, in fact, responsible for the creation of this virus and he's supposed to be investigating it.
9: Yeah, it, it's you, you can't make it up. So he was actually the sole U.S.-based researcher on this World Health Organization team that went to China and they did it actually in cooperation with China. There's another case, you know, of guarding the hen house. So so China, what they did was they said, um, no, you can't actually have a firsthand look at the lab. We're just gonna give you our own report. We're gonna tell you, you know, what happened. And so uh, even the even the WHO top officials uh recognize now that it that whole investigation was a farce. But but yes, that's it. Like, he also um back in February 2020 was the one who uh, orchestrated this letter signed by his colleagues who also had connections to the Wuhan lab. It was a letter that was published in the scientific journal, uh, The Lancet, one of the you know, most prestigious in the world. And it said, uh, you know, we we scientists, we think uh, the pandemic had a natural origin. And we also think that anybody who thinks it leaked from a lab is a conspiracy theorist. And so that, that was actually you know it became the the narrative it became the media narrative now more recently the lancet itself has has backtracked and they've allowed a letter from other scientists who say look you know all of these people not just dasik had a conflict of interest so uh and then dasik was involved with another investigation with the lancet itself and he had to recuse himself And then they just disbanded the whole investigation because it was so compromised by these scientists who have all of these uh, conflicts of interest.
4: Uh, You you also in the article are uh, summarize um, the four studies, including two from the World Health Organization, which provide strong evidence favoring a lab lab uh, lab leak theory. Can you talk to me about some of those studies?
6: Yeah,
9: so uh, this was um, these were studies where they were, were looking at the, the DNA coding and, um, and they were looking at all of these coronavir- coronaviruses. Well,
4: I think we have Art back. Are you there, Art?
9: Yes, yes,
4: yes. I was just uh, reading yeah, here. The study that was published by Nature Medicine concluded the original SARS-CoV-2 pathogen was 99.5% optimized for human infection. Which is strong confirmation of the lab leak hypothesis. Um, another clue you mentioned here: the origin of the virus is found in the virus's furin cleavage site. What is the furin cleavage site? What does that mean?
9: Yeah, so so basically, it's it's um, this in simple terms, it's a it's a it's a device on the virus that enables it to bind to a human cell. So. When, when you see this feature in a virus, uh, it's going to be one that is easily transmissible among humans. And so uh, that that site and, and the precise place where it is, is just not found in nature. And so that's an indication that they, they engineered this precisely so that it would this virus would bind to a human cell, that it would release its genetic material inside the cell, which of course is what causes COVID-19, the disease. And so in short, it's just when you when they saw that, they they realized that there's a 99 percent chance that that was engineered and it didn't just occur naturally.
4: Right. And, and because they've, they've not been able to find this fur and cleavage site in nature, uh, that has led many to speculate. It must, it must be man made. It's created in a lab. And then. Uh, I guess the the skeptics will say, well, we simply need to find we simply need to keep testing. That gives them kind of this, you know, plausible deniability. They can go with that forever. Well, we haven't looked long enough. We haven't looked far enough.
9: Yeah, no, that's that that's true. But it just comes back to the point uh, that even Francis Collins, the director of NIH, admitted as well. We have no evidence for the natural theory, but but we sure hope that it's true. <laughs>
4: So, is your sense that, that now that this this has come out uh, through the uh, Freedom of Information Act, this grant proposal to DARPA, do you get the sense that um, the noose is tightening around people like Dr. Anthony Fauci?
9: I I think that it is, and and I I think that Francis Collins's uh, resignation uh, it indicates that uh, now Fauci is going to be more difficult. He has become in, in our country, uh, an icon. And I mean, people literally, uh, have pictures of him in in, in their homes with candles lit in front. Uh, and, uh, that, that's the irony of this whole thing is, is that w- when the history is written, uh, I, I think it's going to be clear that, that he, uh, you know, even, even if it was, uh, through his negligence and incompetence, at least in some way he had, Uh, a major role in this whole pandemic happening and then in exacerbating it by by policies that are are not tied to science. And that's according to the opinion of of a broad range of scientists who are, in some cases, political, some cases, Democrats, Republicans, some cases, people just go about their business and they don't care about politics. But there's a broad range of scientists who are saying, look, uh, these policies are, are not tied to good science uh and certainly you know the the pre-covid science uh is very different in in many instances for example in the whole thing of uh whether you should mandate masks as public policy
4: well more cracks more cracks forming and again we ask when will the dam burst art thank you so much for your time how do we get a copy of see something say nothing
9: yeah you can go to uh amazon Amazon amazon.com and just search on uh see something, say nothing.
4: All right. Always appreciate your time. Art, right. thank you so much.
9: My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Richard.
4: All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow, God willing, to do it all over again with the irascible but lovable Lou. I'll speak with a woman who's been denied a medical exemption to the COVID vaccine, even though she's likely to suffer an anaphylactic episode if she takes the jab. Matt Cullen, the voice of the Mississauga Steelheads, will be here with a season preview, the Lynn Riddler, and your chance to win a pair of tickets to the Mississauga Steelheads home opener. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.